Hello, welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers, the podcast where we share stories, insights and strategies that go beyond some of the numbers we encounter in our work life. I'm Susan Lee-Trivon. I work with organisations who put people first. I've lived and worked in many countries. I've met people who love what they do and people who don't. People who bring their full selves to work and people who won't. And together with my guests, we place a lens on and focus in on the people side of work life. Because we know that it is people who do the work, not numbers. And if we are treated well, we will perform well and might even generate better numbers. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Madeleine Golek. Madeleine, you're so welcome to Life Beyond the Numbers. Thank you for having me. It's always fun being on the other end of the microphone, as they say. Absolutely. And this is part two, hopefully, of our conversation. As Madeleine had me on her podcast a couple of weeks ago, and I'll leave a link to the episode in the show notes. And we had quite a fun conversation. It was amazing. And it was so like free flowing and it was beautiful how it simply unfolded in the way that that it did. And always surprised how the conversation moves when you open yourself to flow with it. That's it. And we I suppose, maybe not experiment, we decided we were going to go with that flow because we met on a course called The Power of Presence. And we connected across the airwaves. Madeline is over in Canada. I'm here in Oxford. And it's one of these, it's a brilliant course with the coaches rising based out of the Netherlands. And now we're both doing the same course, which is The Power of Embodied Transformation. So as the last episode was about presence, I think this episode we're going to hopefully go towards embodiment, but you need both in a way. You need presence to be embodied, I think. A hundred percent. It's a little bit difficult to be in your body when you're not present. It's probably not possible at all, is it? I don't think so. Not that I've experienced in the sense of if you think about when you're on the go and you're thinking about the next thing you need to do and the next place you need to go and the next meeting, are we even aware that our body, like that we're attached to a body, right? It's not until, you know, we take that deeper breath or until we take that pause and even still, I think there's this element of then needing to become aware, like taking our awareness to our body. There needs to be some consciousness involved in that pause. So it's not just pausing, but it's like I'm pausing to become present to myself. Mm, That makes sense because, you know, we may have hunger pangs or we may have a headache or we may be sweating, but we might not really be in touch with our body in relation to that other than noticing it so it's bringing the awareness to it is completely different and you have to be present then for that 
Yes. Mm. Agreed. <laughs> and this sounds, I mean, it might sound like we're talking in riddles, but we're not. <laughs> and we're going to try and make this hopefully a little bit clearer. And one of the quotes, I was looking through your social media and Madeline has brilliant social media um, on Instagram. If you're interested at all in embodiment, presence, movement, anything like that, Madeline is definitely worth following. And I'll put a link as well to Madeline's social in the show notes. But one of the quotes I noticed was by Thomas Hubel, movement is intelligence in action. And that just kind of sends a shiver down through me. So maybe you'd explain what that means to you, Madeline. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, when I read the quote, I similarly get these sensations of energy or sensations of movement. And there's an intelligence to that. I don't have to know like i don't have to plan how that lands in my body it simply lands in my body in a feeling in a sensation and then it moves through in the way that it needs to move through and there is an intelligence to if we think about to get up and to walk to the washroom I'm setting an intention, you know, I'm going to the washroom, but I don't need to plan out heel strikes floor, then my foot comes forward and I lift up over my toes and I don't have to coordinate all the muscles in order to do that movement. And so there's an intelligence in our nervous system of how the body then communicates with the brain and how all of that gets coordinated is very, very intelligent. And then the act of me moving is that intelligence literally playing itself out. There, it's almost hard to know where to start with that because I totally feel that that sensation moving toward moving inside of me. Um, when we even use that quote. and But when I think of the word movement, I always think of physical, external movement, like going somewhere or raising my hand or even talking, like by using my mouth, there's movement. Whereas this is more subtle as well. There's both. There's also that internal movement and tuning into that. Yes. And so the other way that I think about what he's saying is that what's happening within me, there's an intelligence in response to our environment, in response to relation. And for example, like thinking about anger, there is a movement within myself around anger. And anger is one of those emotions that many of us resist because we're afraid either to express we judge that we have it. 
we're afraid of what would happen if we let it actually move through us, right? But the emotion itself is showing up. It's there's some intelligence around, like, I'm curious as to why is this coming up within me? And then if I can move with it or let it move within me through presence and awareness, you know, not trying to change it, not trying to stop it, not trying to do anything with it, but simply becoming aware of and allowing the feeling to have its movement and then becoming curious also to what purpose is that serving? Why is it showing up? What is it, what is it doing for me that allows further insight? And then it moves through and it doesn't get stuck. And so there's intelligence through that action, through that movement of that emotion. Certainly we could tie this into fight or flight sensations or when I'm scared, there's a physiology that's being awakened within me. I may not be physically moving, but there's something moving within me. And when we bring our awareness and bring our presence to that movement, then we actually allow for more openness and more choice to come in. So when we resist the movement within us, we're actually resisting action. We're resisting living because we're not letting it move through and therefore we don't get the insight about why it's there. And things don't get then integrated back in because oftentimes, uh, or I would say some component of, of something happening within our body comes from our past. And we cannot come to understand and embody what's happening and integrate that without becoming present and aware, without actually allowing the movement to happen. And again, there's an intelligence behind that. Why is that showing up within me? Yeah, what is it here to do? What does it want of me? What's sparked this incident or instant or instance even of anger or of grief or of joy or of any of them? And denying them or suppressing them or repressing them isn't necessarily the answer. And they show up somewhere else, probably later. Or there's a buildup or a backlog of them or something like that. Self-sabotaging patterns, right? Yeah. There's a, there's a movement happening and it has an intelligence, but without the awareness and the integration, it's like it's playing out something old in a new thing that may not need that level of protection at this particular time. So it actually becomes a hindrance for our movement, right? So if I 
have to complete a work project or have to do a presentation. And there's a whole bunch of things within me that are stirring. Our body gets really smart. Like, you know, like sometimes people can even become sick just before a big thing. And it's like, well, you know, why at this particular moment did my immune system decide that like, or like what, what if there's like a pattern to that, right? Well, that pattern is serving a purpose as a protective purpose, but it's actually blocking me from showing up in my aspiration in the person that I want to be and become. It's, it's not in alignment with my authentic higher self, because there's this movement that is happening within me that I may not be aware of because I'm not present. So I'm just trying to think of a way of explaining it outside of the body. So almost it's like you get to a roadblock and you can't go any further, despite the fact that what you need is just across the road. But maybe there's a train coming and you have to wait for that train to pass before you can you can continue your journey and when it is a train you allow it to pass because you have no choice but when it's happening in your body the train is showing up as I don't know a pain or something stuck in your throat or a nervousness you don't wait for it to pass you try and shut it down or you try and stop it or you try and jump over the train or you let it hit you yeah or you numb it yeah you disconnect from it yeah you reverse your car and (laughs) you go back and it's a challenge because we have also our own self-protective mechanisms that will only let us go so you know, we can go into it. Sometimes we can only go so far into it. And I think, you know, that's another piece that Thomas talks about is certain things you can heal with on your own, right? Through reading books, meditation, insight practice. But then there are things that need to be healed in relation. For somebody to hold space for us, for somebody to experience that intelligent movement with me so that I may stay present to it through support, through relation. So some things we can do on our own and some things we need to do with others because we are also social beings and neurobiologically we're wired for connection and it is through connection through being seen heard validated witnessed supported that that also supports that movement that intelligence to to move through us so that something new may may emerge so oftentimes I think of it like self-development, right? The self-development, important. But it's 
centered around just the self. And then there's that relation piece, that community piece that we've become too individualistic. And I'm certainly very guilty of that. Like, I'll just do it myself. I'm smart. I can do this myself. And what I've come to realize is my intelligence is way smarter than my thinking brain. Right? My emotional and bodily intelligence is way smarter than my thinking brain. And it is only through experience, experiencing something new, experiencing something that needs to to move through that I can embody. Like I can think, oh, I can try to think my way into feeling something different, but it doesn't really work that way. Right? I need to feel something through completion for me to feel something different, to embody a different feeling, to embody a different type of movement. So we become hyper-individualized and we're in a society of that values a lot of our thinking faculty, right? Our IQ, right? <laughs> our thinking intelligence. And I think that... <clears throat> I think I just released a podcast on this literally today that we really need this new paradigm of welcoming in our emotional and bodily intelligence, not as in to take over our thinking, but as all of them working in unison and then never mind our soul's intelligence. I mean, the transcendent, you know, the things that are above outside of us that also influences all of those things. And so I feel like there needs to be an integration, a, a, you know, a returning of old ways into the new, right? So yeah, like, yeah, it's not, we're not saying throw out your cognitive intelligence or only listen to your emotion. It's a combination of, it's, I suppose, the sum of the parts are greater. And we often just value one part, whereas actually, if you can put the different parts together and not even think of them as part, but think of them as a whole, then you've got gut, heart, brain, all working together. And that intelligence is superior. Yeah. There's, uh, it makes me think of this like idea of like emergent properties. Like you wouldn't think of a cloud in its parts. You would just simply observe a cloud and be like, oh, isn't what a, you know, what a nicely shaped cloud, right? But there's, there's many parts that must come together at the right time in the right circumstances in order for a cloud to form. Just in the sense of insights and who we want to become, the you know, setting the conditions, working with the different conditions in order for something new to emerge, right? And part of that is becoming aware to the thinking mind, right? We do that in meditation. We become aware of our thoughts. We don't try to stop them or change them. We allow them to move through. But it's, you know, when we find that thought and we hang on to that thought or we resist having the thought, it creates tension. And tension creates constriction. 
and constriction and tension blocks flow. Interrupts movement. Yeah, which interrupts movement, right? It interrupts us living through our purpose. Mm. Because I think purpose is something that moves through us. It's something that emerges as we move. Or so for me anyways, because I thought it was the other way. I thought like you needed to have a purpose and you needed to know what that was. And then you needed to like move based on that purpose. But what about people who don't necessarily know that yet? Well, how do we move toward that purpose? Well, we need to move and follow the various intelligences, right? They're, they are helping to guide. And our purpose here is to discover. And our purpose here is also to discover our past and how our past is playing into the present. And then it's discovery of, okay, and now what comes next? And being curious about what comes next. And open to changing that as well, because the purpose now might not be the purpose in a couple of years time. But something I just that keeps coming up here as we're talking is at the beginning, we talked about anger as an example and anger, allowing anger to move through us and I keep thinking about Will Smith and the slap at the Oscars. And some might say that he allowed his anger to move through him. And that moved him to go up and slap Chris Rock. So what would you think about that one, Madeline? I mean, my curiosity automatically goes to what was the level of consciousness at that time? Like, what was the level of consciousness toward that movement? Because our nervous system and our physiology, like when it becomes mobilized unconsciously, we do things that once we Once that energy moves through and we now see more clearly, we look back and we go, why did I do that? Or why did I say that? Because the physiology, the body is speaking, but we are not picking up on its clues. We are not present, perhaps, to what is happening within us to allow it to move through us, not necessarily into action, or it doesn't necessarily have to move into what I would, you know, in this case, the physical movement of walking up to the stage and then creating the action. And I would, I'd be curious about if that really was in service to his higher self. Like if he's reflecting back on that and being like, yeah, that was what I would have wanted to happen. So again, my curiosity about what is the level of consciousness that yes, the anger comes in and we need ways for healthy aggression to move out. 
So there are ways to move that energy. And anger is one of those energies that can mold and create and that sense of like passion and things coming out of the flames. But when it's enacted with perhaps a lower level of consciousness, meaning I'm just letting it move through without any awareness can get us into some trouble. Mm. Yeah. And had he perhaps taken a pause at some point when he felt that bubbling up and he may have been able to bring conscious awareness to what was going on and perhaps had a different outcome. Which perhaps would have been maybe perhaps more in alignment with his values, right? So, you know, I wonder like what showed up was a protective response. And the question then becomes, what was the protective response about? Like, what are the layers that go deeper underneath that emotion? What's actually happening? What is the intelligence that's happening? I'm protecting something. What is that? What is the anger serving me? What is it protecting me? What is its purpose to show up here? Right? And that may have illuminated some of his past. I know he wrote a book and I think, I, I haven't read the book, but, but I was seeing posts about like that maybe there was anger or violence involved in his past, right? So again, what needs to be healed from the past and what, do, what is the work that is mine to be, what is, what is the work that is mine to do such that I can work through and gather the intelligence and integrate something such that I respond in action that is actually in alignment with my higher self, my higher purpose, my, my values. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can't really, you know, comment other than there's that curiosity there, you know? the curiosity to be like, what were the deeper parts involved there? Right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and you can bring that curiosity or I can, I think as well to Chris Rock, who seemed like he took that very, very brief pause, gathered himself and made a remark like, this is the best night ever in Oscar history or something, but made light of it. So he managed to, it seems, managed to regulate his own internal system in a way that didn't, that he didn't hit back, for example. Mm. You know, he took it. And I, I find it's a really interesting example that probably most of us have seen And to think about where was the bodily intelligence? Where did it come up for both people or did it? Mm -hmm. And how we regulate our our own state. We're not, because I I sometimes think some things like that show us that we're, we're at the mercy of our emotions. And I don't believe we are. We have choice. We have a responsibility 
But we also have to learn sometimes how to do those things and and learn how to be comfortable and how to bring awareness like we're talking about to those sensations that happen within us that we want to shut down or don't want to feel or want to numb out or whatever the the phrase is. Yeah. My curiosity moves now to what happens after that experience. So part of me is like, okay, there's, there was regulation in his physiology, you know, like I'd be curious about how much awareness he had or level of consciousness he had in that present moment in that pause. So part of me is like, what was his awareness? And then what was the intelligence of his body saying, the best thing that I can do right now is to respond this way. And then what happens after, right? Because there's still going to be some things that need to move through that experience. There's going to be perhaps emotions or things that in that moment I'm inhibiting because the best thing for me to do is to roll really cool to get through this experience until I can get to a place of safety where then I can experience perhaps some emotions and the energy that that situation may have presented. So there's a lot of curiosity around, okay, you know, what was my experience before, during, and then did I allow myself space and time to process and integrate that experience such that it doesn't perhaps get stuck within me? Like, can I allow the whole experience to move through me so that it integrates back in? Or now am I going to have some part of me that fragments? And then the next time something like that remotely looks even remotely close to that type of situation, I may now react differently or I may become reactive rather than responsive. So it's very interesting. Like my curiosity is certainly peaked to be like, okay, I want to understand in a deeper sense. Like I really want to go deeper and like, you know, so that's my curiosity. <laughs> no, and, and you've given me more things to think about when it comes to it as well. Yeah, what what was the aftermath for both of them? How do they feel now when they look back at it? Would they have done things differently? Have they processed it, dealt with it? Has that moved through or is it stuck somewhere? <laughs> There's lots of, of questions. And one of the things that 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 I've been reading that that there's a kind of behavioral breakdown as such since we've come out of lockdown. And that was one example where you just don't see people slapping people in public. And in the States, there's been reports of incidents on planes where people's behavior has become more erratic, let's say, for want of a better word. And what we talked about, this disconnection, this fragmentation, seems like a way of understanding why 
social norms might be breaking down even further. So we've gone from living in communities really depending on one another to being locked in our homes more and more individualized. And now we re-emerge into the world and our nervous systems aren't quite keeping up with that in some way. And we've become more disconnected from living in community. Yeah. So I was talking about the, you know, why we need that new paradigm, because if I'm disconnected from you, if I'm disconnected first and foremost from myself, and then I'm disconnected from you, then I'm disconnected from the animals and I'm disconnected from the environment, then I'm capable of actually doing things that I may otherwise not do if I could feel me and I could feel you and I could feel the life that pulses around me, I'd be less likely to want to destroy that or hurt it because I would feel you being hurt and I would feel that within me through a relational connection, through empathy, and it might not have a pleasantness to it. Right. Because if I do, you know, that whole idea of like what I do to you, I do to myself. But we become disconnected. I'm disconnected from myself. So I don't feel. I don't feel. You. You don't land within me. So therefore, I don't feel anything, you know, like, don't you feel bad about doing that to so and so. Right. No. Because I'm not feeling you. I'm not feeling the consequence. I'm not feeling it directly enough or big enough that it's affecting me, right? Like climate change. Until it, quote unquote, looks or appears like it's impacting my immediate existence, I'm not sensing, I'm not feeling the degradation of our planet. I'm not sensing those consequences. And it's almost like our fields are shrinking smaller such that it's going to take something big to jolt because we don't, we're not sensing it. We need the volume to get so loud before we like pick up that there's a noise. Mm. That's really interesting, actually, because... In one way, the pandemic, you could say, was the volume being turned up. And and maybe, maybe, maybe we only hear the bad stories. And, and I use bad in inverted commas. We hear these stories that are not the best reflection of how humans interact with one another. However, perhaps there's lots of other good vibrational stories happening. And they certainly were at the beginning of the pandemic. You know, we we saw people singing from balconies in Italy. We saw all sorts of goodwill gestures throughout the world on how people treated one another. And maybe these bad ones are, are just giving the wrong sense of how humanity is 
emerging after the pandemic as well. Because I do think as humans, we had more of an insight, more time to to look into other people's lives, more, more time to understand ourselves and probably feel feelings and connect to ourselves more deeply. And that's why even having conversations like this Mm. are are different now. We may not even have thought about this type of conversation two years ago. But we have to be open to start having the conversation because, you know, when we think about trauma, whether individual or collective trauma, you know, when we as individuals have to, when we touch into parts of us, that have been fragmented and disconnected. We also have to understand that when we start to touch into that, there, there is possibility that it's overwhelming. And so therefore I don't, I back away because I cannot do it alone. So as an, as individuals isolated with our collective traumatic experience, there's a lot of suffering because of disconnection. There's a lot of suffering and, and these behaviors, these, you know, are, are, is coming out of nervous systems that are not regulated, that are not connected to perhaps themselves or others. And we don't have enough social, uh, practices or social norms around how to deal with our emotional and bodily intelligence. Like we don't, it's not something that is integrated in the way that we are being. And so we are, so we are seeing on one side, a great awakening where people are beginning to understand, wow, there's so much here that I didn't see, feel, connect with, and now I'm connecting to it. And as I'm doing that, I'm now seeking others to support me in that awakening. But if I don't have the right support and I don't feel safe and I don't feel connected, this is going to be really challenging to do on my own. And so then I you know, the bodily intelligence piece, right? The emotional intelligence says, this is too much for me to handle and will find ways to regulate that may not be in the best interest of that individual. But there is self-protection that's coming in and it's playing out. But again, what's the level of awareness, presence, and consciousness to that? And how safe and supported do I feel to reintegrate and experience the things I need to experience so that the flow can come back in? If that makes sense. It it does, absolutely. And I think, you know, I always think of if, if, if somebody is, say, panicking, right, in front of you, the tendency often is to tell them to calm down. Yeah, that never works. And it never works. Exactly. No, it In doesn't fact, work. If anything, it makes it worse. Yeah. 
And the reason that that I've learned, one of the reasons people think that this might be the case is because all we're trying to do is calm ourselves down. And we think by telling the other person to calm down, what we're really doing is trying to calm ourselves down. And actually, even knowing that you can bring the calm inwards and then hopefully access a different part to then help the other person somehow regulate by asking them, what do they need now or something Mm. along those lines rather than please calm down, just calm down, which, like you say, never, ever works. And if anything, it's like fuel to the fire. Our body intelligence through our nervous system has tuned in that this individual is experiencing something difficult. And my body intelligence is responding to that difficult or possibly mirroring that difficult within me. And so, in fact, actually, if we got better at naming, like I'm noticing, my heart rate's increasing, I'm breathing quickly you know, is that your experience as well? And we start relating to each other that we're picking, you know, so it's different because now I'm connecting to you to experience and I'm bringing consciousness and awareness. And then both of us are then noticing the tension or noticing the sensation and then providing some space, some softening around the feeling, but we get so uncomfortable at being uncomfortable that we want to not be uncomfortable. And like, it makes sense, right? Like logically that makes sense, right? So it's not that it's bad that we want that. It's just that the means by which we're trying to attain it is almost like trying to bypass having to feel it. But in fact, we need to slow down and just feel to the capacity that we're able to feel and soften a little. And then hopefully through relation, asking and supporting ourselves to understand that there's a protective response happening. What is the protection serving? Because when we understand that it's serving a purpose, we can then allow self-compassion to come in. Self-compassion for the part of us that is really scared, the part of us that is trying its best to stay safe. And can I give that part of myself some space and some love and compassion so that it can actually move through and then reintegrate back in. Because if I judge that part of myself, then I fragment from it, right? I don't want to be with that part. I don't want that to be a part of me, but it is a part of me. And so how can I allow this part to be part of me, to come into the whole? And that is the work that is ours to do, right? That is that is our one of, well, I mean, I just, I love the way that Thomas talked about that, that, you know, that's part of the work that we are doing is looking at our past and the collective ancestral 
cultural things that have influenced the person we are here today. And then the work is to then work with that and step into the curiosity, into the movement of becoming who I'm to become. To seek my purpose through my action. So there's two prongs of work. And, and, you know, when he talked about that, it made sense to me. And I was like, okay, I see why the personal work is like, why the deep inner work is so important because I have aspirations as a mother, as a daughter, as a member of community, as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, I have aspirations of who, you know, how I want to be in that. And so by doing the deep inner work and integrating back in, I allow for more space and more permission to become more complete and whole and show up as the best version of myself, which then serves humanity's purpose. Whatever my purpose here is to do, I'm serving life by living my life. But I cannot live my life if I'm living my life through my past. You can't live your best version of your life. You can live a life and you certainly are. Yeah. 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 And I think then, Madeline, what's fascinating in one way is if you just take a workplace, any workplace in, in any of our countries, anywhere in the world, and let's say there's 50 people in that office together, and you have people on so many different parts of that journey or stages, and it's it's is it it's like almost amazing we get anything done <laughs> right <laughs> hopefully we're unified by you know a common goal a common purpose right i mean it's amazing that life in and of itself works with you know 7.8 billion of us you know individual parts and yet life moves and continues because life has its own purpose And it's driving, yeah, Thomas was talking about this yesterday, how there's a consciousness that's coming in from life itself that seeks its own evolution. That is, we are a part of moving with that purpose. So life wants to live, we want to live, and there are forces that move. So there is movement, there's intelligence that's moving all the time. Are we consciously a part of it or are we just, you know, moving, yeah. uh, moving along with it, feeling we have no sense of autonomy? Yeah. Are, are we intentionally congruent with that or are we just along for the ride, so to speak? And I've been along for the ride for a long time until very recent. I mean, I've been doing a lot of deep inner work. And every time I do that deep inner work, I'm brought into situations and people that I meet that continues to further that deep inner work and things are expand, you know, things expand. But, you know, we have to understand that things must contract as well. Like my lungs have to deflate and then they need to inflate. 
So it's not always that life's going to be this grand expansion of joy all the time. There's going to be times of constriction, tightness, and tension. And that is us bumping into things that are not fully integrated. And so to expect that it's always going to be roses and rainbows, right? Part of the intelligence, part of the movement is seeing those parts that I don't want to see, those emotions, those feelings, such that I can then allow the flow to move through those. You accept, I mean, we, you know, it used to be like this saying, accept yourself warts and all. <laughs> and it's basically the same idea. It's accept all parts of you. Mm-hmm. They're all there for a purpose. And they are alive. Mm-hmm. They are life. They're part of you. They're embodied in you. And you may as well get curious. Yeah. I was going to say understand them. So yeah, even better, get curious. You don't even have to understand them. You 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 just need to meet them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because oftentimes it's not quite rational. Yeah. Some of the things aren't rational. And this is why I say like the thinking mind is great, but not every problem can be solved through thinking and analyzing. Sometimes that is the barrier and the block to creativity and innovation. Right? Totally. Totally. And, and I think that is the one that is fascinating because certainly on the embodiment course, it's what all the teachers talk about is that if you work through the body and the intelligence of the body, these shifts that you're looking for, this work can be done quicker than trying to analyze it with the mind. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, I think, a brilliant place to stop because we can't go into that here. But it's also such, it's a topic for a future conversation, Madeline. It's just a lot of curiosity and just like a lot of, you know, sensing and feeling and listening and, okay, what's, like, I'm I'm sure when I listen back, I'll be like, I don't know where that came from, which is great. You know, I was just, working on sensing into and having this conversation and right or wrong. The point is that we're having conversations and we're relating to each other and we're asking questions. And I think that's part of the learning process, the growing process is, you know, asking questions, getting really curious and being open to finding different answers. And one moment it'll fit and then you'll come to some sort of realization and that one thing doesn't fit anymore. Now I need the next piece to fit for my evolution, you know, for the evolution of my life. So, yeah. Hmm. So that was again, a fun exploration and the time has flown. I can't believe it. (laughs) And I hope if you're still with us that you got something from this conversation and as always thank you for listening but we're not done just yet because Madeline maybe you would tell people how they can connect with you if they'd like to learn more and also about your podcast sure yeah so my podcast is called living a better life and it can be found 
wherever podcasts are podcasting. Also following me on Instagram. I have my like link tree link there, which has then links to all the stuff that I'm, you know, up to. And there is a link to the podcast, which will show you, I don't know, eight to eight to nine different ways you can listen to the podcast and subscribe to the podcast. So, you know, finding me on Instagram is a great resource. I'm pretty, pretty active. I'm also on TikTok and I'm very active there. So my handles are the same for Instagram as they are for TikTok. It's just my name, but you're going to need to go to the show notes for the spelling of my name, because I'm going to tell you right now, you're probably not going to spell it right because nobody ever does, which is totally fine. My parents wanted my name to be that way. So you'll have to look that up because it's too long to spell it out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that. (laughs) Yep, yep. And yeah, so the links there. You can contact me uh, through my email. I'm in the process right now of building out my, you know, website for my body intelligence, uh, business coaching aspect. So that is getting built out, but I did put an email there and I did put the website link there because it is coming. It is coming. Yeah. So I'm just really excited about my future. I mean, right now you'll see me as a pelvic health physiotherapist because that's, that's my profession. That's what I do right now. And what I will continue to do is support my community with pelvic health. But I also want to support entrepreneurs like myself, kind of working with all of this stuff, because being an entrepreneur and a business owner is really hard. And if you're not bumping up against things that you don't like or, you know, that are difficult, well, then I'm not sure what kind of business you're in because (laughs) I'm bumping up against stuff all the time. And I understand that we need to work on some things in relation. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And something that I definitely learned during my, as my, in my journey as an entrepreneur as well, is that actually, yeah, it's okay to ask for help. And when I bump up against stuff, there's a reason. Well, it's, we've normalized it to have business coaches, you know, strategists, marketing strategists, and all of this. But what we need to also normalize is the coaches that are there to help you with the deep inner work that is necessary for you to show up as the best version. So you need the strategy, but you also need the inner strategy to execute the business strategy, because there's some self-sabotaging patterns in there that may be blocking you from executing the business strategy, or you might do it, but then you feel like, you know, all these feelings and things and come up, right? So the imposter is going to be there at every corner and yeah, and so much more. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I totally understand all of that, Madeline. Thank you so much for having that conversation with me today. I really enjoyed it. And I do hope people listening enjoyed it too. Thank you so much for having me. My pleasure. We'll do it again. Thank you for listening today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with someone you know who would enjoy it too. I believe we are all entitled to enjoy our work and the future of work life will be changed by those who put people first and create more fulfilling work lives for themselves, their colleagues, their teams and organisations. 
If you have any suggestions for topics you'd like to have covered, guests you'd like to hear from, or questions for me, please drop a line to susan at beyond-thenumbers.com. And finally, please consider leaving a review.